Hello, and welcome to the Pink Isle. My name is Henry Kathman, and joining me is the illustrious, patriotic Emma Corey. Um, not sure about that last part, but yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, well, well, Emma, uh, absolutely, we have to be only the most patriotic people if we're going to be talking about American Girl, that's true. They don't. They don't. Because if there's one thing these movies do, it's that they definitely show a very neutral, fair and balanced view of America as a country. Yeah, maybe America has made some mistakes, mm-hmm. quote, quote mistakes. But I mean, you know, just little whoopsie doodles, it's like. In America, you could be anything you want, even if you are a young girl who likes to go on adventures and steal horses or whatnot. Is is there such thing as, like, Australian girl or, like, United Kingdom From what girl? I've researched, no. <laughs> like, they've tried some sort of variations that would be, like, uh, things called global girl. Global Girl was a uh, a short line introduced to be educational, ethically diverse types of dolls, but it didn't seem to catch on. Like, most of what seems to happen is that it was introduced in 2016, and that's the last time anyone seemed to hear about it. You know, I gotta say, so, feminists are really taking over because they got American Girl. Where's the American man? G.I. Joe is who. Yeah. Basically, from what I can tell, they launched them in 2016 to try and create a set of new companion dolls that can offer a look into the modern world. You got Vivian from France, uh, Amali from South Africa, Tiffany from the United States, because, you know, you got to get one of those in there. Uh, Marcella from Argentina, Tatiana from Russia, and Mei Ling from China. And they were going to be on pre-sale in 2014. And, Emma, you want to guess how much these dolls sold for? Um, $60. $89.99 each. That's way too much. Yeah, I will... Expensiveness is kind of the MO for this brand, so. This is true, but even modern day American Girl dolls, like, most of them, um, like, oh, actually, oh no, Emma, I am looking at, like, modern day American Girls. Okay, some of them aren't that bad. Uh, so, like, the, like, older, like, Girl of the Year dolls from like past years might go for like a hundred dollars if they were one of those older models that aren't in as big supply. But some of the big mainline dolls like Kit and uh like Samantha and Felicity, they'll they'll co- set you back about thirty dollars. Although so those those ones there, those are like those are like re re releases though. If you wanted to get like the original, the original, then you're yeah, gonna be the, yeah, the big bucks. 
that this is true and a Josefina doll even a re-release of that's gonna set you back 115 dollars dear dear lord dear lord people th these are oof he's expensive but you know what doll isn't expensive is it the subject of today's podcast episode indeed it is today we are going to be talking about probably the most popular of the american girls uh molly mcintyre uh it's either her or kit or samantha who tend to be the most uh like popular well, I feel like of those these. are kind of like the og kind of classic ones so yeah what well, so she was molly was originally released in 1986 alongside with samantha and kirsten uh so oh yeah. kirsten is the older interesting yeah, kirsten, yeah. you don't see like her people, as much people get kind of kirsten and kit sort of mixed up because probably because they're both blonde and have k names but i feel like yeah, kind of like overtook Kirsten a bit because Kirsten never got her own movie, even though she was an no. OG American girl before Kit. Yeah, she nearly died of dysentery yeah, out in the American frontier. I know. That, considering it was the American frontier, that might have answered a couple of questions why they, we never got that movie. Yeah, they, maybe they figured it would be kind of a bleak sort of setup for her compared yeah. to the other ones. Compared but, um, to the lighthearted fairs of World War II. I mean, you know, she's got like the stars, like the, the American flag themed dress. And, you know, she's she's going to she's going to uh, get the women in the workforce to make the bombshells, you know, real. Yeah. Real team yeah. Yeah. I will say, like, if you were to make a movie about like American involvement in a war, World War II is probably your best bet because that's probably like pretty good thing that we probably got involved on that one. You know, seemed like that other side fucking sucked and deserved to die. So I mean, you know, definitely agree. But I don't know. It's always kind of a bit more complicated because you know Americans' involvement in World War II also oh, yes. like in like atomic bombs. So I yeah, mean, and internment camps. And yeah, so. a, a not tiny number of people who actually were like, hey, maybe we shouldn't intervene and let the Germans do what they want because they have some pretty interesting ideas. Boy, howdy, is that a thing people like to try and forget? Uh, but yeah, this is going to be, this will be an interesting little story. I do think World War II is kind of an interesting sort of era when you're talking about from the perspective of like women and girls at the time, because mm -hmm. I'm not like a, like a super historian, but my general understanding is like, it was kind of sort of like an era where women were kind of running the things a bit back home. Cause you know, all the guys were off like, you know, dying in war. So yeah, you know, we were back here, here, rosing the riverding around, you know, and I think that's, uh, an interesting thing to look into it's a kind yeah. of perspective on world war ii that you don't see a lot in media so i'm pretty okay. interested in uh, what this movie is gonna provide yeah i, I agree like i feel like of, of the ogs molly i feel like kind of kind of gets left behind a bit in discussion you know yeah i i'm inclined to agree because she is definitely like uh i think I have a theory why she isn't as uh 
as beloved as your Kits and your Samanthas. Like, my vague memories, whenever I would pierce through that good old American Girl catalog that we would get, like, every couple of months, is that Molly looked like a nerd because she had the glasses, and I don't want to put too many judgments on uh, kids, but I feel... I feel like that might have been a factor considering how the for a lot of the doll models like i remember like the glasses for molly being kind of hard to get off and sometimes they would get lost and some difficulties coming from that yeah i feel like molly as far as the original american girls is definitely like the least like overtly feminine of them i think Mm -hmm. which i think might be why she just unfortunately wasn't as popular because she wasn't like you know the pretty girly girl doll with all the pretty little dresses you know i don't know she had some decent outfits like in the molly collection like some of this stuff that she had included like a special holiday dress that would was like made out of velvet and was all red and stuff. All the American Girl dolls, they tend to have a birthday collection, a holiday collection, and a winter collection, like, uh, as well as a summer collection. I don't know, that's that's interesting. Like, you would see Molly's winter outfit being like this yellow raincoat. Uh, she would have her America pajamas that were like all red and stripy. Uh, and her holiday dress was, like, evergreen. There's some cute stuff there, but I don't think it reaches the heights of Samantha. Yeah, she just kind of has a different vibe, I think, from the others. Yeah. That's not going to stop us from uh, getting into this movie here. And boy, howdy, this movie's got some interesting stuff. So, making a return... We got Valerie Tripp, the writer of the original American Girl doll stories, being one of the credited screenwriters, and uh, Anna Sandor as the uh, screenwriter here. She, we might have talked about her a little bit last time. Yeah, the same person who ended up writing the uh, Tarzan in Manhattan movie that we talked about, and the other previous uh, American Girl movies. Uh, Specifically the uh, Felicity movie, which, hmm, I don't don't know how I'm going to be feeling about that. I I don't know, I'm going to be optimistic. But joining for a first time as director is going to be Joyce uh, Chopra, who has been a director who's been... Mostly sticking with documentaries, interestingly enough. Um, She got her start all the way back in the 60s, uh, like mostly making like short documentaries in the 80s, making a couple of other sort of serious fictional movies. One movie that she directed is called The Lemon Sisters, the Lemon Sisters. Yeah, The Lemon Sisters. It was a movie that starred Diane Keaton and Carol Kane and Carolyn Grody as a bunch of friends working in Atlantic City. And then the other major movie she directed is called uh, Smooth Talk, made in 1983, which 
stars a young Laura Dern, like in one of her earlier roles where a free-spirited 15-year-old flirts with a dangerous stranger in Northern California suffers. Oh, no. Huh. Okay. Uh, remind me to read the premises of these movies before being all like, oh, that looks interesting. I don't know what to say. I like I like when she was she was in the Star Wars and she had the pink hair and people oh. got really mad at her character for some reason. I don't know. Because she existed. And, you know, the fact that anyone can be angry at Laura Dern, I feel like that says more about them as a person. Yeah, it's like, how can you see Laura Dern in something and not be delighted? Couldn't be yeah, me. Couldn't be me either. Like, this is a Laura Dern stan podcast. But moving on to this cast, there are some other people in this cast that we are also stands of. Uh, but before we get to them, first I want to go into uh, Molly McIntyre. Uh, sorry. God, I'm going to need to remember how to pronounce this. Molly McIntyre? Uh, Wait, is it, is it McIntyre or is it McIntyre? Um, is it Reba or is it not? Oh, God. I don't think it's Reba because it's, it's Mick MC with an I. M-C-I-N-T-I-R-E. I'm oh. sure the movie will tell us. But Molly being played by Maya Ritter. This is her most uh, prominent IMDb role. Uh, and it was her first movie. So the American Girl movies being like the launch point for a number of careers. Though she uh, didn't have the same that, sort of start as Shailene so Woodley. The, as in the case of, I don't know, maybe this girl could have been, uh, been the, the Fault in Our Stars girl. She I mean, they are similar ages. She could have gone for it. She could have. Yeah. But she ended up going on to uh, play a couple of other roles, uh, starring in a show called Rookie Blue, which it's a cop show. So, eh. Uh, but also. Was she, a, was she a child cop in this show? Or was this. It was filmed was in 2012. So I'm assuming she was like an adult by that point. Uh, and then her most recent role was in, uh, oh no, a Disney Channel show called Goldie and the Bears, where she lended voice work to a character named Ginger in it. So, yeah. So a long and illustrious career. Uh, Indeed. Oh, that's, that's a bit mean. We need to, we need to you know, uphold the small time actors. Yeah, Fine. exactly. You know, her Instagram, like, most of what she posts on Instagram involves her uh, being a talent agent, actually, where it seems like she's mostly transitioned from being... So she's being... in the industry, she just does different stuff. Okay. Yeah, exactly. The only other, like, major cast members that I want to get into are uh like molly's father played by david aaron baker who probably the second biggest actor in this because he's like a pretty prominent character actor he's starred in everything from like the irishman he was in the marvelous mrs maple uh like starred in edge of darkness that one did, awful mel gibson movie did, that like hey, did you say did you say the marvelous miss maple no Marvelous Miss Maisel. You said Miss Maple. Oh, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was also in uh, a number of the Purge movies, like Purge Election Year 
as well as, oh my God, do you remember that one J.J. Abrams movie? Not movie. It was a TV show called Revolution. No. Oh my God. Oh my God, Emma. Okay, I tangent. Revolution was a drama from 2012 to 2014 that was really trying to be the new Lost, where the premise was suddenly, mysteriously, there is a global blackout and all electronics no longer function. And it's been 15 years after that where revolutionaries are trying to stop a militia who has basically taken over all of the country. And it stars a lot of like big actors like Giancarlo uh, Esposito. That was my introduction to him before I watched Breaking Bad, which before hearing about him and... Yeah, it was it was a TV show that I have distinct memories of watching when I was younger with my brother and being like really interested in the premise and then it being like kind of garbage because it was just trying to do Hunger Games love triangle bullshit and it just kept on doing the JJ Abrams mystery box thing where it's like, "Oh. Oh, you guys don't have a plan for this, do you?" Oh, oh. god. JJ Abrams is he just needs to like just tell a story, you know. What if a uh, what if a uh, Palpatine had a clone and then he somehow came back? Somehow Palpatine came back. Somehow he did it. Somehow. Somehow. <laughs> oh God! But all of this, all these cast members, this is a prelude to the one, the only, the marvelous. Molly Ringwald. Hold your applause. Hold your applause. Everyone, please show your respect. A woman who dealt with too much bullshit and continues to deal with too much bullshit. I gotta make a confession. I've never actually watched any John Hughes movies. Really? Yeah, I never really watched Breakfast Club. Never watched, you watched Ferris Bueller, right? Ferris Bueller. What? No, I haven't watched Ferris Bueller. What is that that other one? Uh, 16, 16 Candles. candles I like Pretty in Pink. Maybe a little bit of it. From an outsider perspective, what is your kind of impression of those kinds of movies? Um, I don't know. I think I kind of got a bit of a bad impression because the only one I've watched a little bit of it is uh, 16 Candles. And that seems to be the one that has the most uh, problematic elements in it. Uh, wrong. Yay, you know. wrong, bestie. Uh... Yeah, you know, I haven't watched those movies, but I have watched uh, Not Another Teen Movie starring a uh, future superstar Chris Evans. That's true. Um, and who can forget her iconic, iconic recurring role as Mary Andrews on Riverdale. That it all comes back to Riverdale. I feel like every every big show that's released in the past however many years is just another Riverdale. Like Euphoria, that's just Riverdale, but with like prettier lighting and drugs like actual drugs and not the fake drugs that riverdale showed uh, i was thinking like i'm pretty i thought they did drugs on riverdale but it's probably like it's you're right it's probably like i don't know some made-up drug yeah and then she was also starring in those kissing booth movies which they made three of those oh, the third one of those was released this year and it's like we're still doing this huh the kissing booth. That, that's the one that was based off like a Wattpad story, I right? I think so. You ever you ever like look at it, look at some of these stories and be like, "Yep, this definitely was written by like a fifteen-year-old girl." Yeah, and except that except that Harry Styles one, apparently that was written by a grown woman at the time. Oof. 
Oof. Which I didn't. I didn't know uh, adults used Wattpad, but apparently they oh, do. That's to that's make the BDSM Harry style. Yeah, graphic. that's <laughs> the opposite of surprising. But I think with <laughs> all of that said. I'll be interested in seeing what this movie has to offer. I will say the IMDb user review saying that this is hands down the worst American girl movie of all doesn't bode a lot of confidence. But like, I don't know. You can't really judge the taste of IMDb. That's true. A lot of positive reviews came with the Felicity movie. And, uh, but also that just might be our weird preferences. You know, we weren't, we weren't enamored by the horse girl felicity movie so maybe like we'll surprise you like this one exactly well emma i hope you're excited to see molly mcintyre produce high-grade ballistic ammunitions participate in war propaganda hell yeah let's go Lively, lovable Molly McIntyre is growing up during the 1940s when america is fighting hard in world war ii Molly's world is one of glamorous Hollywood movies and harsh realities. Molly and her family and friends are patriotic. Like other children, Molly makes do with less so the soldiers overseas can have more. And along with the rest of the country, she learns to live without things she can't get. Just like all Americans during World War II, Molly realizes that when people pull together to reach a common goal, they can make a difference. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen and others, those of you joining us back here in the Pink Isle. Yes, sirree, Bob. We have a real humdinger of a film. Truly a mark of America's success. So, Emma. Hen- Henry, Henry, was, Henry was speaking in the, in the cuphead language right there, so... Why don't we? What are you talking about? This is my natural cadence of a voice. By golly, I declare this movie here is the bee's knees. Yes. By the bee's knees, I feel like it's sweet enough and not that substantive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I can agree with that, uh, mainly. Um, let's talk about the Molly movie. Let, yeah, let's. So, as... When we were watching this, Emma, I think it was it was you who said how um, by the third movie, a pattern is starting to become very apparent. And both of us are not especially familiar with the American Girl doll like books and pieces of media ourselves. But after watching three of these movies, there's an amount of repetition that is uh yeah you can beginning kinda, to come out yeah you can kind of tell the the books that these movies were based on that like the these companies they kind of really expected like your typical customer would really only get the one doll and then they would like get the books related to the, the to that doll and read them and then watch the movie based on the books related to that doll like they probably weren't you know in general probably weren't uh consuming all the merchandise because after a while you would realize oh, a lot of these books and stories kind of follow the same sort of basic formula and uh after the third go around you s- it just gets a it's a get it gets a bit tiring to go kind of with the constant sort of uh going over the same beats of like oh there's a family yeah. member that's 
that might die and sometimes they die but sometimes they don't end up dying and also our our protagonist meets a new friend that challenges their preconceived notions and then they become besties and then and then it's a christmas i guess we should have seen that coming when we were like watching the felicity movie i guess i was just under the impression that they would have started to change some stuff after this point but yeah as it stands a lot of this movie was gonna kind of live and die based off of like the direction and how they ended up delivering that same sort of story beat because a formula isn't necessarily the worst thing ever like plenty of movies and storylines and franchises work off of the same basic formula but at least in this the execution is lacking so i will say didn't hate it as much as uh the felicity movie because i i'll say at least this this movie actually stood to like actually side on like one part of the war yeah which you know not exactly a really high bar to pass considering it was world war ii but you know yeah this movie really does a does beat you over the head with the usa is coming to save the day type stuff in here yeah like the number of plot beats where someone is going to molly being like we're at war in case you didn't know and we have to make sacrifices and it's like you gotta get over yourself molly worrying about you know your dad being around and spelling these there's a war going on there's a war and you know you you should do more molly you need to be an active participant in the war effort or else you're not doing enough you must you must dance for the bombshells molly That's the dance only for that uncle sam this is definitely a movie that is assisted by the fact that world war one you mean world war two oh shoot did i say world war one yes Oh, God, that would have been the opposite. God, can you imagine an American Girl movie set in World War One? Woof. I think it's Kit, right? That's 1920s, or? No, Kit was the 1930s. Okay. Man, they really did skip the entire 1920s as a decade with the American Girl doll lines. They, they that feels like a bit of an oversight. They could have had a, a speakeasy girl, you know? Or, <laughs> uh uh, yeah, just the flapper wear. Yeah. Oh, that would have been. Kind of going yeah. back to this. On the subject of yeah, those movies. Uh, so one thing you notice kind of right away with this movie is that um, there's just something kind of off about like the acting and the line delivery in this movie. I felt like that was especially more noticeable compared to, I think, the previous two films. Like either everyone is kind of like, overacting or everyone's kind of real sort of stilted like i don't know i want to say like it got better as the movie went on but that might just be like we just got used to it as the movie went on i honestly i think that's how it is because like yeah this this, this film's got some major like high school community theater protection vibes going with like the acting i'm gonna go out on a limb i want to 
attribute this to uh, Joyce Chopra's direction because you have some actors who have some fairly robust experience in acting. The fact that like they ended up making Molly Ringwald and David Aaron Baker kind of feel understated in their performances feels pretty indicative. Like, Joyce Chopra primarily cut her teeth making documentary film, because later on in life, she ended up being part of BY Kids, which is a nonprofit which would pair, like, master filmmakers with youth from around the world to help them create short documentaries. And, I don't know, it feels like that is probably where she is more comfortable in, because when you're filming a documentary, it's most of the artistic decisions come in the edit and in the setup like in terms of coordinating interviews and being able to choose what footage you use for the film and stuff like that. Whereas in a fictional film, as a director, you have way more control. And I don't know, I feel like she, like, I mean, I'll be honest, Anna Sandor's uh, screenplay didn't exactly help either, but I, I feel like, I'm pretty confident in saying Chopra's direction is probably one of the bigger, uh, weaker elements of this movie. God bless Maya Ritter. She's trying so hard, but it, it isn't coming out great. Yeah, she's kind of... Fortunately, Molly in this movie is kind of very flat a lot of the times, and... Yeah, she doesn't exactly emote a whole lot mm -hmm. with her line delivery, and yeah, it comes a bit stilted. Granted, I don't want to diss her performance too much with that, you know? I think being a 13-year-old trying to play a 10-year-old can get a little bit awkward, especially since, like, I don't know if you noticed, but, like, I found it strange how Molly was, like like, substantially taller than pretty much all of the other girls. Yeah, I thought, like, she was supposed to be older, like, like, fifth grade. or But in the movie, they were, like, they end up going into, like, fourth grade, like, starting in third grade, so. Well, well yeah. Lilla, um, why did I just suddenly forget the name of that one actress, Felicity Fault in Our Stars girl. Oh, Shailene Woodley. Woodley? Yeah, was she also like 14, 15 when she did that movie? Yeah, she was a much younger actress. And uh, all of these actors like started off pretty young. And I wouldn't say like Anna Sophia Robb and Shailene Woodley gave like groundbreaking performances when they were starting. But it is an interesting thing that shows how like sometimes child acting can be a little bit hit, hit or miss, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. I don't want like, to put all the, I want, all the blame on Molly's actress. Cause no. obviously there was some weird directing if, going on here, but she definitely uh -huh. just fell pretty flat a lot of the time. Yeah. Cause it is kind of like a lot of things that we see before. Like it's basically, there are three different sections of the movie. Once again, the first part, is well i guess we can just kind of start from the the beginning um we get molly going to the that's kind of a recurring thing at at the end of, beginning of each of these sections we get molly going to the movie theater see them older uh, those old black and white picture shows which 
I do want to note, like, Molly has some decent-ish taste here, because one of the movies she did end up seeing is uh, a pretty notable historical movie called Cabin in the Sky, which Cabin in the Sky was based off of a 1940 musical based off the same name, and it's notable because it was one of the few big-budget Hollywood movies that featured an all-black cast, as it starred people like Ethel Waters, Eddie Rochester Anderson, Lena Holm, and uh, Louis Armstrong even made, like, some appearances and stuff like that. And that's a extremely, like, I, I'm just impressed by Molly's taste that she, they were like, yeah, let's go, let's go watch this movie, which a lot of white audiences did not uh, want to see. That was a movie that uh, some cities straight up boycotted. So, you know, good on them, at least. But they also saw some of the movies like uh, the Mickey Rooney movies. uh, And weirdly enough, they were watching this movie that was supposedly starring Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney. But they wouldn't go on to... They kept on talking about how this one actress... uh, Oh how, like, beautiful some of the actresses were. And this is where Emma and I started picking up on some uh, vibes oh, yeah. Molly with is Molly. Definitely the most, uh the most baby gay of any of the American girls we've seen so far. Because, like, her and her friends are kind oh, of, yes. like, almost sort of weirdly obsessed with their teacher, Miss Campbell, and also obsessed with her, like, her, uh, soldier fiance who's going off to war wow i wonder if something bad is gonna happen to him anyway like i keep on talking yeah about, like, i know fantasizing about their relationship and the wedding that they're gonna have it's almost almost to a yeah, kind that's... of weird degree at least with how it's like portrayed in the movie like i don't know yeah at least the performances it's it's one of those things was like yes it's pretty normal for like elementary kids to kind of speculate on like their teachers and stuff like that but the fact that they kept on talking about how like oh she looks so beautiful with those pearls today oh i bet the soldier gave her those pearls oh looking at that lovely diamond ring and it's like uh are y'all imagining yourself as the soldier or something because that that was the vibe that i got And also her her fiance, who we see for one scene, who's supposed to be like the hottest the hottest guy of all, is uh he he looks a lot like Tim Curry. <laughs> he kind of not does, that Tim though. Curry isn't uh, like isn't a magnanimous. Oh, Tim Curry sexual, could get it, but it's still a bit charming. yeah. It's it's kind of like the same thing where like people consider Jeff Goldblum like a sex symbol. Like, Obviously, you don't appreciate this scene enough from like Jurassic Park, where he's like all sweaty and lounging with his shirt, open. where he's all oily and his shirt's open. Yeah, yeah. like but either I, way, uh, moving yeah, past anyway. this, let's um, I don't know. Uh, trying to think of more stuff. Uh, what do you think of Molly Ringwald in the series? Yes, so Molly Ringwald is. Uh, Miss uh, McIntyre. And oh yeah! By the way, it is pronounced McIntyre. It is. Reba, it is. So. It is pronounced McIntyre. Yeah, it is Reba. But yeah, she. It's one of those things where it's like, again, I want to chalk this up to the direction, but she also feels like 
very stilted in her performance where there isn't like as much emotion as the situation might warrant like when she hears about things like oh no this one of our neighbors got killed in a bombing or oh no this type of thing has happened she kind of delivers it at all at about the same intensity you do see a couple of moments where she like gets into the big tears but like it's not that prominent and it it is another thing that feels indicative of the direction where kind of feels like she was just called in to like play this role and now she's gotta like try something like the fact that she doesn't even like she barely shows a lot of visible affection to her husband. Kind of signals to me that, like, maybe there isn't as much going into this performance. She is really gorgeous in this movie, That's... though. Like, oh, later oh. on in the movie, when she, like, when, like, of course, it's a World War II. She's got to work lab, in that factory. She starts doing, like, the Rosie the Riveter get up. Like, oof. Listener, I will say, if you are going to watch this movie, uh, do it for Molly, because. Molly Ringwald, that I should say. Yeah, not, not the other Molly. Because uh, uh, 10. Uh-huh. She's 10. Don't. <laughs> but yeah, so the whole first section of this movie is about how her dad, who's a doctor, ends up going, enlisting as an army doctor to go overseas. And of course, uh, Molly mm-hmm. is upset about it. And then the dad is like you shouldn't be upset about it because when you look at the stars you'll think of home and molly is like oh yeah. i guess i won't be upset about it and uh for so much of the first half of the movie it feels akin to like when a kid is told that they have to do extra chores and they're just kind of like a little bit more quiet and they talk a little bit more softly and low and that's just kind of her tone throughout a lot of it and she feels like, she's mostly annoyed by most of that, but yeah. I will say it is one of those little scenes where I feel like David Aaron Baker, probably one of the more solid performances seen in this movie. His is also a little bit stilted and like he's like there's a scene where him and Molly uh, for Molly's birthday go to like a little uh like dance thing that's in like the square and it's got like five dancers dancing like the charleston and like swing dancing where you can very obviously tell that the music playing in the scene was not the music that was playing when they were filming it yes like the fact that everyone is dancing asynchronously and like yeah and it's yeah it when when he and Molly are dancing, it's supposed to be kind of cute, but it, again, feels just kind of like, oh, all right, we got to shuffle over to this mark, and now scene's over. It feels like similar to the Felicity movie, and I guess Samantha to a certain extent. I think because this is based off of a number of of different books melded into a single movie, it the episodic nature of this film makes it feel like things have a lack of consequence and a lack of stakes. Like, you have some underlying tension over the course of the movie when it comes to stuff surrounding the war and whether or not certain people are going to survive the war yeah. or not. It's like, it's kind of stuff that, like, 
Molly can't directly control. Exactly. So it's like it's not really much of a a journey for her to go through. Molly's journey in this movie is much more of like learning to accept and take bad things as they happen from the side. Yeah. Which that's I mean, I guess like eventually they do kind of have her become more active by having her like participate in like wartime charity stuff like you know campaigning for like war bonds and like and and getting scraps and yeah you know dancing in an american flag dress so all the things very essential to the war effort obviously definitely definitely something that's gonna really kick stick it to fascism uh yeah yeah I, this movie also kind of has the thing that they had in the Samantha movie with the the friend character where we kind of like get our somewhat privileged main character somewhat humbled by seeing someone else who has been in a much worse situation that she has. Yeah, because so. it is then when we meet uh, Abigail Bennett, who uh, Emily, uh, Emily Bennett, Bennett, Emily Bennett, shoot. Is then when we meet Emily Bennett, who, who, who is Loki kind of the best child actor in this movie? Maybe because like her Britishness kind of like goes well with sort of the stilted kind of dialogue and delivery this movie has. Yeah, so. I I agree. I think it is one of those things where like I wonder how much of that is the British voice. And how much of that is the, like, actual charisma? Because Tori Green, the actress who played Emily, she hasn't really shown up in a lot of other stuff since. She had a role in Barney and Friends, like, for a bit, and briefly starred in uh, something called Happy Holidays, which was some independent black and white film. She does a decent enough job. I find it very interesting, though, that she's, you know, she's one of the kids from London who had to, like, be relocated to other places. And I don't know if the, how accurate this is, because I was under the impression that most British children were, like, relocated to other places within England. Um, well, you, you that would probably make more sense, but, like, you know... How is uh, is Molly going to see the realities of war brought into her own home? Yeah. In the form of another child. Indeed. You know? Well, I, I mean, it could have been one of those things where like, oh, what if a kid who's like, it was just him and his dad and the mom died when they were younger and then the dad had to go off to war or something like that. I feel like that could be a more... Because they literally do that with, like, two other adult characters, because they get the neighbor, Miss uh, Gildery... Yes. Something like that, who has a son that goes off to war who dies. Yeah. And then... Well, let's let's save talking about this scene for a bit later. Yeah, on, so... Because the for, first half of the movie, some of the things that Samantha... Sorry, Molly is whining about is uh having to stay with miss guilford who forces her to eat radishes and 
she has to listen to her talk about her son, Johnny, who's off at the war. And it's boring and stuff. And radishes smell like wet socks. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, if she doesn't finish it, she can't get up. And she sits there for hours. And as a kid with ADHD and had problems with, like, eating certain foods with certain textures. Boy, howdy, did that give me some uh, old memories that I was not happy to revisit. Yeah, were you ever uh, kind of forced to sit at the table because you didn't, like, want to eat something? Yeah, it wasn't well, a good time. I've been there. I've been there. Oof. Yeah. Nothing like being a picky eater as a kid. Yeah, it's not It's not great. Um, mm-hmm. What, did you have, like, a, a particular food growing up that was, like, your ick food that you did not like to eat? Growing up, yeah, pasta was a big thing. Certain types of vegetables were also not great. Uh, well, I just had certain types of foods I really didn't like. I, I remember my mom would make, like, these, like, salmon patties every once in a while oh. with, like, the canned salmon. With, oh. Like, no. Mm-mm. Also stuff like uh, ham and beans. Never liked ham and beans. Uh... Yeah, I can imagine. And I remember, like, I wasn't big on ravioli either, like, or, um, my mom would make, like, the Stouffer's lasagna, and I just never, it just always tasted bad to me, because there'd always be, like, parts that were, like, overcooked and had a weird texture to them, which made me think I didn't like lasagna for the longest time, because that was the only lasagna (laughs) we ever really had. So oh, that's very funny. I'm sorry, Garfield. Anyway, the movie. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're struggling, we're struggling to say things about these American girl movies at this point. I think so. Well, like- so I mean, because the problem is, is that most of the movie ends up following the same stru- structure. Some like Molly has to uh, get used to some sort of change. She complains about it a little bit. Someone's like, "Hey, we're at war." And then she's like, oh, I guess I better do my part. And Yeah, repeat that like three times in the same movie. Yeah. Actually, it almost feels like four times. Because like the next big thing that happens with Molly is that like they get this British girl living with him. And I guess like her and her friends just assume that all British people are rich and hang out with the queen. Like... So Emily, I can't say for certain, but I feel like I feel like Molly would have fallen for that fake Harry, uh, Prince Harry dating show. Oh my god! (laughs) Yeah, I think so as well. Because Emily, like without missing a beat, was like, "Oh yes, my mother was Lady Bennet," and I guess credit to Tori Green for like making me for a second there being like, "Wait, was there an actual Lady Bennet?" When it's like obvious that that this was a lie that she's saying to, like, try and, like, placate the people around her. Yeah, so, and because of this, I do think, though, the, the like, one-on-one interaction between Molly and Emily is pretty funny. Like, they definitely do capture, like, this, like, awkward conversation. Oh, yeah, really well. there is, like, that sort of awkward, like, silence as they're trying to talk to each other, and... I don't, I think this is one of the things where, like, okay, the direction of the story has definitely helped with this because you get the impression that, like, the girls were directed, okay, 
you're gonna say something to them and then you need to just like wait a couple of seconds before you respond and the girls rightfully are a little bit like awkward and unsure of what to say next and that ends up being pretty effectively conveyed in the movie in terms of like oh yep i don't know what to say right now and that sort of awkward energy ends up being i don't know like something that ends up being reflected later in the movie though i will say as the movie goes Son, Molly says that Emily appears stuck up, and I don't like. Yeah, I feel like Molly is projecting hard on dear Emily because I think she's just like quiet, like yeah. And Molly is mad because she's better at the spelling bee than her. Yeah, that's. Oh yeah, there's like a spelling bee, a spelling bee subplot in this movie that gets introduced and then dropped immediately. Yeah, because the two of them end up like. Oh, some. Oh, you go ahead. Yeah, so some riveting stuff. So they have the spelling bee. I mean, you get to show the spelling bee, and I guess Molly is jealous because like. Emily is doing uh, so good. And then. Okay. Uh, we gotta. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, if, if you you could say this part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. So I guess because we need a reminder of Molly that it is the war times. Uh, um, the teacher Miss Campbell is like a judge at the spelling bee, and for some reason, even though they're literally at the last two girls in the competition. Yeah. They feel that it's. it's now is the time to interrupt the spelling bee for like some people to go and tell Miss Campbell that good old Tim Curry overseas has bit the bucket. <laughs> Just kind of putting a whole damper on the whole on the whole scene. Yeah. There's this guy from the military in his army uniform just, like, walks up onto the stage to talk to the principal, one by one calling people aside while the spelling bee is going on. And it's like, dude, you couldn't wait, like, literally five minutes? Like, this woman is on the stage. The fact that you see her, like, break down and cry in tears and run out, it's like... This is, like, I, uh, that's got to be, like, absolutely traumatic for that woman. Well, I guess maybe he was thinking that it would kind of, like, put a whole damper if, like, a girl did win the spelling bee. And just as she's enjoying her victory, it, you know, kind of got brought down by the... I mean, you could uh, just, I mean, just talk about- to the woman in private. <laughs> just, like, after the spelling bee is all said and done, just, like pull her aside and tell her about this. Yeah, it would put a damper on it, but so would seeing your teacher break down in tears and run off the stage. Well, you know, the American military sometimes makes mistakes. (laughs) Okay? Nobody's perfect. You know, if I can say, if I could give one complaint about the United States political activity in the 1940s around World War II, by far, definitely the worst mistake was their botched delivery there. Yep, absolutely no other bad things committed by the United States military during World War II. 
Well, well, I mean, this movie, it's like the military. They're great. They're great guys. Yeah. And they, girls. They, they, yeah. And women, too, because we do get a whole subplot about how there are female pilots and there is this aunt that was like that was going to watch over uh, the kids instead of the neighbor. But then when she gets here, she has to go because she's going to go enlist and be a lady pilot. Yeah. A whole subplot that really could have been completely cut from this movie. It really could have. And I realized that that was a part of, like, the original, like, book, like, Changes for Molly or Molly Takes Flight. I think Molly Takes Flight is the book that that was based off of because it involves Molly being visited by, uh, like, her aunt and some of the other people there and like her aunt Eleanor, which that though in the book, Molly takes flight when aunt Eleanor visit, she actually gets to take aunt Eleanor. Sorry. Like aunt Eleanor actually gets to take Molly to one of the airfields to show her what it's like to fly a plane, which that would have been a neat scene and to show in this movie. But Probably would have been pretty high budget to make a 1940s uh, two-seater bomber and fly that around. But, I don't know. It is interesting. One other thing to note about the uh, discussion of the woman Air Force Service pilots is that in one of the documentaries that shown uh stuff and gives the exposition about some of the history stuff you do see a little clip of like one of the wasp soldiers getting a kiss from one of the fly girls on the airfield and it, oh, yeah, and that yeah. was like we, we mentioned that that was like it was just sort of like casually in there yeah it was just a kind of like blink and you miss it like we we both had to rewind the video just to like double check to be like wait did we see that right and it's like yeah they just Put a lesbian kiss there, and I will say, Aunt Eleanor does give off those uh, lesbian vibes. Well, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a different time. You know, sometimes you would give a little a little kiss to your bestie <laughs> or a little kiss to your homie, and it was just, you know, it just was what, what it was. It was what it was. Yeah, that's true. Just as it was yeah. completely normal to be extremely invested in talking about how hot your teacher was and thinking yeah. about her getting married. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just... It's, just We're just all having fun here. Just, just having some light fun. Yeah. So what ends yeah. up happening is after a little while, um, we end up uh, eventually seeing Molly starting to realize, hey... After finding out that her aunt has to do her part, she's taking it a lot better than she did when her dad had to leave. And she's starting to be a lot more empathetic. And there's this one, uh, during all this, she's doing this dance class where they're dancing to do for this Christmas pageant, which they set up really early in the movie, but a whole like year and a half passes before... No, actually, this all happened in the same year, uh, where essentially, like, they hype up across multiple grades this single performance for the Christmas concert where they would be performing this special victory dance 
Um, and it would have been a thing that uh, who, whichever girl ended up becoming Miss Victory, she would do things like go to USO shows and help sell war bonds and stuff like that. And it's not just a mark of who was the best dancer. It was also a mark of who could best embody the spirit of Miss Victory. Which is code word for saying, yeah, Molly's not that great of a dancer, but she she's she's got the heart. Oh, yeah, because they like kind of make a point that she's like not good at the dancing, but of course she ends up getting the part anyway. Yeah. And she even has this like rival, because that's one thing I noticed this movie, is there's always like a random like kind of mean girl rival character. Yeah. And hers is Allison, whose most notable feature is that... <laughs> She has this wig that's always kind of off-center on her head the was, entire movie. It was such a big wig! I don't know what... Like, I don't know, it just, like, every time she, she, came on, she came on screen, it just really... It reminded me of... Did you ever watch, like, the, the Little Rascals movie? Oh, yes. I, I know exactly. It reminds me of, like, Alfalfa and Spanky, like, wearing the wigs and the ballet outfits. Yeah. Like, it's the weirdest. It looked like that wig. Yeah, like the weirdest part about that is uh, Josette Halbert, the like girl who played her. She has naturally brown curly hair, and it, it's one of those things where it's like, why did they do this? They didn't. Ha- I mean, like a lot of productions do use wigs just because it's a lot easier than like trying to style their hair into that certain style. Yeah. Like every time they shoot. So that could be part of the reason, because she had a very specific, like, real elaborate, like, curly hairstyle, and it probably would have been a lot to try to, like, style her hair that way every time they sh- they were doing a shoot. But still, this is maybe they could could have maybe invested in a, in a better looking wig. Yeah, indeed. Oof. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, in addition to this, we get probably what I think is the best part of the movie, which is the stuff with her and Emily and kind of the latter half of their story where mm-hmm. they kind of learned that of course Emily wasn't like from this like upper class family her parents were working class and uh her dad was a soldier is fighting in the war and her mom died in the London Blitz yeah so, which woof that's a yeah good fun stuff yeah that's a like when she starts going into detail about like uh the worst part is when it's the quiet and you just have to wait. And if you step outside, you can never come back. And it's like, dang, Emily, like it gets, it gets. Yeah, that girl, that girl's seen some shit. Yeah. But like, and it's especially like, I guess it's a little bit sad that like we didn't see Maya Ritter in any other movies. Like the most recent thing she was in was, as we said at the top, this Goldie and Gin, uh, Goldilocks TV show for the Disney Channel, and it was, yeah, I don't know, but at least as it stands, it, I think my favorite scene with this was after uh, learning more about this and having their whole uh, like come together moment. They, uh, she ended up, uh. She ended up having, like, this nightmare, and Molly had to, like, 
try and like comfort her during that time and it was kind of a sweet scene where like the two ended up like sharing a bed and uh i'm trying to think of how else they described some of the stuff there but like yeah it was a nice like little cute moment like i feel like the the development relationship between emily and molly was pretty sweet to see and uh yeah I think it was because, well, like, we actually got to see someone who is, like, directly affected by the war as as in, like, being in a war zone. You know? Like... Yeah. It was nice. Yeah. One other thing I want to note. Uh, there was one other cast member who, blink and you miss it, like, shows up and then you don't see him. Um, Thomas Brody Sanger... Sangster, who you might know as Eyebrows Kid in uh, the uh, Maze Runner series, as well as being in the uh, oh wait, that's Will Por- that's Will Porter. Oh, Will Porter. Wait, like the Maze Runner series. Okay, he is an Eyebrows Kid. It was, but he was the kid named Newt. In the Maze Runner series, yeah, yeah, I know. Will Will Porter, a uh, much more famous actor than yeah, but child. <laughs> both of them have similar vibes, though. I don't know. They're both British. They both have like that kind of stuff. And he voices Ferb from Phineas and Ferb, so you know. Wow. Yeah, it, there is like a. That was just something interesting that he was like one of the kids in the spelling bee that you saw for like a second. And it's like, oh. What? No child actors. You never know where they're going to go. No, you do not. Nanny McPhee was the movie that I was thinking of. That's the movie he was in. Anyway, so yeah. But this all, after the spelling bee and after Emily and... Uh, Molly end up becoming friends. We kind of then just get into this montage where Molly just thinks of ways to help the war effort, collecting scrap metal, rolling up bandages, helping to supply war bonds. Also, we get basically the same plot from the Felicity movie where they think that that the parent might end up dying but they end up not because the dad, and of course, ends up going missing mm-hmm. in London. And, I mean, like, I guess they do keep it kind of tense as to, like, whether or not he is going to end up being okay. But, you know, they've already killed off a few other characters, so of course he ends up being okay. Yeah, I, I will say, I guess to this movie's credit, it, they did at least make some effort into like trying to get them like trying to make them seem like there is like an actual possibility of certain things going bad but yeah I don't, I don't know it it was something that did get once it, once we saw like the uh once we saw the the fiance die, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, the dad's definitely not going to bite it if that's the case. Oh, yeah. And, like, 
Honestly, there isn't much more to say about this movie. We do get kind of a cute scene because, of course, it's got to be Christmas time again because it's the end of an American Girl movie. Mm -hmm. But we do get like a cute scene where, uh, you know, Molly's mom spends all day at the factory. And when she gets home, she's like, oh, I'm going to have to do the Christmas decoration, the decorating, and I'm so tired and we don't have a tree. And the kids had had saved up some money to get a tree and they did the decorating themselves. And the look on Molly Ringwald's face when that happened, that, I feel like that was the most genuine part of her performance. Like that, that was something that it was like, like I felt like that's where the direction kind of went the best, like in terms of the performances. Cause I don't know. It felt even with some of that stiltedness still being present because it was so earnest, it ended up, becoming a lot more pronounced and yeah i don't know i i appreciated that scene as well even though like yeah they really just do be sticking on like christmas scenes into each one of these movies but they really do yeah and then we get the christmas pageant which is a uh, very uh accurate to my real yeah, life experience. We have an elementary school Christmas pageant. Um, <laughs> yeah. My favorite was the kid giving the very, like, kind of dead eyed uh, rendition of a silent, of a Twas the Night Before Christmas. Yeah. Oof. That kid, who, wherever you are, A plus, no notes, brilliant performance. And he's gone. I hope you, I hope you are having a, a lovely life right now. I will say this. And then. This, uh, before we continue, one weird side note quirk of, like, having these movies getting to some of these live-action movies that are released more recently is we're now getting into the slightly uncomfortable territory where it's like, oh, boy, some of these people in these movies are our age. Like, Maya Ritter is 28 years old. She's only, like, a year older than me. And, like... Speak for yourself, old man. Okay, well, it's one of those things where I don't want to talk too much smack about what these kids, people were like as kids, but it is something that is interesting. Yeah. But... Don't worry. I think I'll I'll be young forever, so I don't gotta worry. That sounds... I'm happy for you. Love that for you. (laughs) Yep. But, yep. The, uh... But yep, so this leads to the big performance, the victory dance, which, I don't know. What was your opinion about this dance? Took him a full year to prepare. I mean, I'm kind of disappointed we didn't see more of the victory dance, but I do think it is funny every time they do like a more complicated dance movement. Conveniently, the the camera goes to just showing their legs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is something... Apparently, this book, like, this movie included way less stuff that was seen in the original book. Because apparently, originally, uh, in the Hooray for USA book, uh, where Molly has to dance, she actually falls ill on the day of the performance, which is where it's called into question about whether or not she's going to perform. And eventually, Molly ends up having to give up the role to Allison. But instead, yeah, Molly is made to be the big star, which 
Yeah, but like, she's got to wear that American flag dress. Yeah, I gotta say, though, I honestly feel like I would have liked that as a story beat more. Like, this thing where, like, Molly, she tries so hard to get this role, and she really tries to do everything she can, but sometimes, you know, those things don't work out, and life happens. And I feel like that would have been a pretty prescient thing. Like, it could have been sort of, like, a parallel to the way things with war happen, you know? I don't know. I mean, we could have... Obviously, they wanted to get Molly in the dress. It would have been... Like, something that could have happened was they could have, like, had, like, a dress rehearsal scene where she's wearing it, but then she gets sick. And that way you could still sell the dress, but... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this movie was already too dang long, so, I mean... Mm. I can't complain too much that uh, we end up at the end of the journey. And, of course, after she gives her... uh, Somewhat, somewhat of a of, of an enthusiastic performance in the name of uh, the the, U- the United States. Uh, yeah. Turns out, oh, who is waiting backstage? But her father, now donned with a John Watson PTSD cane, <laughs> uh, here to welcome her home. I so. will say one nice note on the direction is that I liked how. It was weird that they didn't have Molly wear her glasses during the dance performance because she wasn't exactly doing any choreography that would have like risked her losing her glasses during that kind of thing. But whatever. But because she wasn't wearing her glasses, like there's a thing where she looks to the side and her dad's all blurry. Granted, the movie ends up undercutting this by the fact that we, the audience, see him in a clear shot standing next to the scene, but Molly doesn't see that. But after she runs over and she grabs her glasses and she puts them on and, oh, it's her dad. That was a nice little touch. I feel like it probably could have been uh, executed a little bit better, but... If Molly can't see without her glasses, how was she dancing? Hmm. One one of life's biggest mysteries. I guess she does just kind of shuffle around in the middle during that whole sequence, so... Yeah, she really doesn't do... Yeah, God, I'm so sorry, Maya Ritter. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they put her in that role because she couldn't dance well. Like, <laughs> this one requires the least amount of dancing. Maybe, because it did, because like the other girls did seem to be doing a lot more extensive choreography. And then there were also like the color guard flag twirlers, which that's that's also something that requires like a little bit more like specific stuff. But... Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it it is what it is, but the movie does And like all these movies, we end with a uh, sweet scene of the characters around the Christmas tree as the father, probably undoubtedly changed and forever haunted by the horrors of war Indeed. in a way that would probably lead him to uh let's say you know, alcoholism, divorce from his wife, alienation from his children. Uh, you know, gives them some some little some little some little accessories that you can get with your Molly doll. Yeah, because I do 
like that that doll that he gives Molly at the end was like an actual like thing you could get for Molly. Yes, <laughs> it was. It was a little accessory. It it didn't look exactly like that. Uh, but the you could buy that special little gift, uh, including like the uh, the tap costume, the Miss Victory costume, and that kind of stuff. Because yeah, uh, yep. Just for uh, $20, get Molly's Christmas set, including a special little uh, little dolly for her. That's nice. And uh, uh, Emily gets a, a letter from her father. Well, it's not just a letter. It's a letter from her father written inside a copy of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, which is... Emily's favorite book. We didn't go into that Which much, it, but yeah, Emily yeah, likes yeah, Charles yeah, Dickens. Established that that she loves uh, she loves the book, and the, their family used to read it every Christmas, and then they lost the book when their house was bombed. No, but, I, she specifically said it was burnt, and it was like that delivery describing how, like, oh, it was her favorite book, and how it felt like the illustrations were magical and then saying how it got burnt in a bombing campaign that that was that was some hard stuff there but uh but yeah and then they they end by reading a christmas carol what do you think uh if emily could was somehow a real person and would be alive to the modern day how do you think she'd... What would be her favorite Christmas Carol adaptation? <laughs> would she like the Muppets? I think she would like the Muppets. I mean, who wouldn't like the Muppets? <laughs> My question... I really like it when that Fozzie says Waka Waka. Yeah. I laugh every time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> so, yeah. That's the movie. Emma, what rating do you give this film? I give this film... Um, you know, they never really did tell us who ended up winning that spelling bee. Because, like, at the end, they were like, oh, oh they the didn't. Two go, I can assume they the probably just tied it. To turn. I, I'm assuming they just yeah. made it a tie. Probably. That's 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 not the, the rules. Well, let's be real. Emily would have won. I don't care who's beyond. I don't care who's beyond. Say he's getting killed at war. Like, so is everyone else. Like, I gotta know who's gonna, what child is gonna spell maneuver the right way. Uh huh. If they had included that in the movie, then it would have been satisfying, more satisfying. Indeed. Well, because of- what is not America, the American way, but uh, to to win, to 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 show. To show ourselves that we're all winners against those who oppose us. I mean, I can't think of a single thing that is more American than us single-handedly overpowering other people and using a lot of pretty substantial firepower to do it. Sometimes yep. feigning consequences and the collateral damage. And 
some of the atrocities. Emma, what, what what's your rating for this movie? Oh uh, yeah, anyway, this one movie was okay. I give it um uh, uh a mashed up radish out of five. <laughs> you know, it's a on its own, it's kind of rank, but you know, put some butter and some sugar on there. It ain't that bad. And you'll warm it up in the stove. You know, it ain't that bad. I liked it oh. more Felicity. It had some it had some fun stuff. But, yeah. You know. Yeah. And then a day my my reaction is eh. I I feel like I'm I'm going to be giving this a um <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. Stick with me on this one. All right. So, if I was to give this, uh, if I was to give this a rating, I feel like the most appropriate type of rating that I can do is give it, make it a war comparison, specifically airplanes. So, uh, can we pretend and, that they are in the night sky and are like shooting stars? Okay. Yeah. Well, and. Aunt Eleanor, she specifically flies a P-39 uh, Air Cobra, which was a wartime plane nicknamed the Flying Coffin due to the high accident rate amongst male pilots. And, you know, I feel like that is a pretty apt thing for this movie. It's a, like... It's serving this purpose uh, for the purpose of the United States in combat. It's got this aura of death around it that gives you pause and makes you kind of appreciate elements of it. Uh, And it... But at the end of the day, it's similar to the Bell P-39 Aracobra. It was kind of cheap so ended up uh undermining some of the elements of it there you go usa usa USA. the soviets apparently really liked uh the p39 though so that's interesting yeah i wonder if they would like uh uh molly an american girl on the home front feel like some people would probably find this amusing if anything yeah, yeah. i mean they were our fr- they were our, our allies during this era yeah until it uh, all went bad <laughs> yeah yeah i will say this is one of those things where like watching this as a movie this it is before we go it does feel kind of like that for the time we're in right now yeah like, the that idea of like hey you're going to be out of things are out of your control and the best you can do is to try and make life your life better for you and the people immediately around you that feels yeah and you gotta make you gotta make sacrifices you know sometimes like you gotta send your love times off to war sometimes you gotta deal with the fact that gas is five dollars now you know yeah and it's not all about you molly it really isn't. I think we could all learn a thing or two about that. So, with that all said, 
Yeah, I think that's gonna about do it for us. So, w uh, gosh, yeah, it's it's good to be back with this. So, Emma, hey, you know what else people can do to help do their part, to help support the real war, the war on people who don't know about Bibble? What can they do to support this truly noble effort, Emma? You know, they can follow our Twitter. They can follow the podcast, download our podcast, listen to the podcast, hold the podcast, to hold the podcast in high regard. Tell the friends about the podcast. Indeed. Never stop thinking about the podcast. Indeed. So, and you can do all that stuff. I would not be enriched from not hearing our hot takes on old American girl made for TV movies that no one really, really cares about much anymore. But we care. We care. And judging yeah. by the responses, a non-zero number of you guys care as well. So thank each and every one of you. There's at least a handful of other people that do care as well. Indeed. And with that said, uh, they can follow Emma at EmmaCorey9 on Twitter. She doesn't post a whole lot, but we love her anyway. Uh, you can follow the podcast's Twitter, Pink Owl Pod. Send us an email if you want to ask us any questions. Uh, it's coming up. Now, we really need to do that live stream where we do the Barbie tier list at some point. That's going to that's gonna be coming down the pipeline at some point. Uh, people have been recording. I know. I'll have to, like... I'll have to kind of reinvigorate what my try to remember what my hot takes were on some of these movies because it has been it has a been a bit. Oh, as someone who's had to edit these podcasts, a lot of these hot takes are very fresh in my mind. <laughs> but oh, yeah, yeah. But you can see more of those hot takes at Pink Owl Pod on Twitter and uh, out in my place. Which, uh, if you enjoy this. You can support it by following me on Twitter at Kathman Henry or going onto the Tumblr, henrykathman.tumblr.com, sub into the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash henrykathman, and the Patreon, patreon.com slash henrykathman. Uh, just for one buck a month, you could help pay the bills and make it so that we can do s some more of this stuff. Because, yeah, I want to be able to... Uh, I don't know. I want to be able to pay Emma for her time and during yeah. this with me. I, I could take money. I, I'll take I'll take like twenty bucks if you throw it my way. I'm about to start paying rent, so every little bit bit counts now. Indeed, but I think with all that said, I think like in a way, like you're kind of like the American home front, and I am like the American war effort. You know. Mm-hmm. And just you like the American some, like, war effort, like, metal my way. yeah. And just like the American war effort, we're going to be inhaling just a copious amount of corrosive chemicals that are found in the air, and just really, really shoving in that chlorine gas and metal shrapnel. So do your part. Uh, and until then, thank you all for watching. Farewell! Off to the front once again, Emma. Oh, one last thing to mention. 
Molly says the word golly quite a few times. It's like her catchphrase in this. Golly Molly, indeed. Indeed.